Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I don't feel like people treat it as the sport it should be. There's four major sports, but tennis to me should be one of them, especially American tennis. And I don't know if it's because we don't have the great American stars outside of the sisters. I don't know if we need to build some more up and how do we find it to make people interested in it again. I also think there's not enough drama. And I hate to say that, but when there's drama that people know about, that they're aware of, people tune in. Hey everyone, John Wertheim here. It is this week's Sports Illustrated Tennis Podcast Beyond the Baseline. Special guest, Carrie Champion, one of the all-time great names, also one of the great people I've come across in sports media. She was with Tennis Channel for several years, used that to parlay a big-time job hosting now Sports Center Coast to Coast. She has her own podcast. She still loves her tennis, though, and it was great to catch up with my old friend, Carrie Champion, let's get right to it. Hey, welcome, Carrie Champion. Thanks for doing this. Sure, of course. I was, I was, I would no questions asked. I would love to do it. Oh, come on. Um, you know what? We had arranged this. My lovely co-conspirator here, Jamie, and then after this was all set up, I get an email. Champion has reached a multi-year extension at the Worldwide Leader. Congratulations. <laughs> Did you just get a contract Thank extension? You. Was that like this I morning? Did. Oh, good for you. <laughs> I'm going to read from this. I did. Have you read this? I told them that I, I, I haven't read it. You want to read it? Champion has reached a multi-year extension at the Worldwide Leader. <laughs> I like that reference. Are you uh-huh, sure it's not uh-huh. Worldwide Leader has reached a multi-year extension at Champion? It comes with exactly. an, an extra hour <laughs> for her Coast to Coast Sports Center show which features mm-hmm. the L.A.-based champion. You are the L.A.-based champion, I'll have you uh-huh, know. Uh-huh, Hosting uh-huh. via satellite feed with <laughs> Bristol-based David Lloyd. It'll start at 11 o'clock Eastern instead of noon, I'll have you know. So anyway, long story short, hey, congratulations. Man, listen, I'm so excited about it. Can we talk about, do you remember the first time you met me? 
Man, you're getting right into it. I do not, but why don't you uh, you tell me, and it'll it'll help my recollection. So I, I just started working at the Tennis Channel, and <clears throat> we were at the French Open, and you were doing your wonderful features, as you do, and I would sit at your knee and ask you to give me all the insight about tennis you could possibly give me. And you were so generous and so kind. And everyone's not always like that, especially in the tennis world. It's very exclusive and cliquish. And you were so good to me. I, I can count on my hands how many people were just nice. And you were one of the few at Tennis Channel. And I was like, these are fond memories. Oh, thank you. I, I don't know whether to be... always encourage uh, me. I, I would hope so. I'd recognize talent. I, uh, I don't know whether to be happy and heartened that that's your memory or to be disheartened that you can count on one hand the people who helped you. But uh, <laughs> it's great to see you have really ascended. You had fun. Well, we'll I was going to ask you about tennis later, but why don't we get to it right now? You had, you had fun in tennis, did you not? I No, I love tennis. That's to this I day, I have so much love for tennis. And what I mean by, like, everyone was everyone was just worried about them and focused on them. Everyone doesn't have time because you're under deadline and you can't always, you know, sit down and explain the, the facts of life to everyone. But... And it wasn't a, a mean thing. It was just like we're doing our, we got to do our job, kid. Get on this bus and, and ride. So I enjoyed every moment, and I loved it. I still love it. So when I, I still go to the Open. Like you know, I go to the U.S. Open because it's easy for me to get there, and I try my best to you know squeeze some time around. And I've been trying to get to the French Open, but it's you know during NBA season now, so it's hard for me. But I still love tennis. I forgot you and your Lakers. I forgot what an NBA. We talked NBA too. I remember that. Um... Yes. Wait, I want to clear one thing up before we go further. Because people have asked me this from time to time. Carrie Champion, all-time great name, real name. <laughs> that is your real my name, real, correct? You're like your father is, is like Mr. Real, Champion. Uh, my that is my real name. That is my father's name. I have not I have not made that name up. It was funny when I was auditioning at Tennis Channel. I remember listening to one of the at the time they had a casting director. And she was like, I want her to get the job because her last name's Champion. I remember the lady saying that. She didn't She didn't know I overheard her saying that. And then from, it didn't even register to me. And I was like, oh, that's funny. But yeah, no, it's my real name. Everyone asks me all the time. I, I wish I could make it up. What kind of name is Champion? You ever watch Fletch? What kind of a name is Champion? A Midwest. Um, group of family from Chicago. I have family from Arkansas, but on the dad's side, Chicago. Uh, it's. Uh, I'm sure it was not the name that was our name, but given to us. And it's been, there's only so few, there's a few champions. There's like a handful. So every time I meet someone with the last name of champion, I always ask them where they're from. There's some in Texas. You always meet a few people with this last name and they're like, my family's from Texas. We're originally from Texas. So yeah, I I don't know the origins of it. I do know that it probably wasn't my original name, but given to us and it's been passed down forever. And it, it sucks because I would hate to get rid of it. I feel like I feel like I should keep it forever, no matter what. Like when my daughter, I have a daughter. I'm not I don't have any kids, but I have a daughter. I'm like, you have to keep the last name, no matter what. You got it. You know what? I got to be honest with you. My story meter is beeping like crazy. You you got to look into this. There's a great first person story there. Tra- tracing right? that name. I'm telling you. All right. right? Um, I, that's just my my first thought is uh, I'm reading that essay that you write, tracing your name. I bet it, there's it uh, I bet there's gold in that story, but. Yeah, I bet you. I gotta go back. I gotta go back. The um, you mentioned Tennis Channel. I don't want. I don't want to get too Richard Deitch uh, on you here, but I do. Th- <laughs> I do think I always tell this to people who are who ask me about the 
media business. And I always say, like, it's it's a shit show right now. It's it's crazy. No one knows where the trains are going and where the audience is going to be. But the one thing that's cool about it is, A, it exists on so many platforms. And, B, there's no one way in. There's there's no one path. There's no med school you've got to go to. What's your path? I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know the story. I mean, how did you what, – what's your journey? How would you get here? Oh, no, you're so right. There's no real way. Um, so I always wanted to be uh, a local news anchor. That's all I've ever wanted to be. There was a woman who grew up – I grew up in L.A., and there was a woman on ABC7. Her name was Angela Black. And I was like, oh, I want to be like Angela Black. And she was black, obviously. Um, but I wanted to be like her, and I would watch her every day. And she was the only thing that made news interesting to me when I was a kid. Fast forward a little later, there was this woman named Oprah Winfrey. You may have heard of her. Uh-huh. I don't know if you've heard of her. You've heard of her? Name rings a bell. I'll Google yeah. it while you talk. Well, Google her, yeah. So she, I see this this Oprah woman on television, and I, I think, why is she so captivating? Why am I staring at her? There's something about this woman that makes me want to stop to watch. And I wasn't, you know, I, I didn't really get it, but I knew I wanted to do it. And I knew that it seemed feasible. And so I've always just wanted to be a local news anchor. I, I graduated from UCLA. I, I got my first job in West Virginia. I was a one-man band. I carried the camera and the tripod, and I was miserable. So I moved from UCLA to West Virginia, and it was just like, no way, Jose, what is happening here? Um, but I loved every moment of it when I got a really good story. And then I fell in love with the art of telling stories. Like, ultimately, that's what we do. We tell stories. Or we give a voice to those who don't have a voice. And then from there, that was it. I was addicted to the adrenaline rush of being on deadline and making it work, going on live television with just a few facts, but telling the story that matters, interviewing people, connecting with people. You know, there's a rhythm to it. There's a a cadence to it. There's just this beauty to it that you can't beat. And uh, from there, I went to Florida and I really, you know, honed my skills with a few hurricanes and a lot of, uh, you know, water main breaks in the city and then a couple of murders here and there because that's local news, and you got a, you got a minute and 30 seconds to tell your story. And then I, I went to Atlanta, and to me, Atlanta was really my coming of age. Uh, it was my very first job where I, was, where I thought I was making real money and I was doing a really good job, but I didn't know much. And I got into it with, you know, anybody who disagreed with my journalistic integrity. So I got into an argument with so many different people that I worked with, and I was so feisty, and I learned I had to harness that feistiness because I got in trouble for maybe or maybe not cursing on air, and I didn't curse on air. I ended up getting my job back, but they thought I cursed on air during a commercial break, and then they were like, you're fired, and then, of course, the fighter in me fought it, and then I get, I get my job back, right, and I go in there, and I'm, I'm going to be the best journalist ever. And I was just so soured and bitter towards the business because I got my first true lesson of if you don't, you know, make the right friends, everyone's not going to protect you. And so I left Atlanta on my own accord, got a job at Tennis Channel, and that's all she wrote. Once I worked at Tennis Channel for a year, I was like, I want to do sports full time. And and why not do it at ESPN? And then I started this fast and heavy, aggressive uh, push to be there. I flew myself out. I met with people. I would send them my tape once every couple of months. I would keep calling and following up. And one day I got a phone call from someone who said, do you want to be, do you want to audition as a host of First Take? And I was like, you got to be kidding me, right? That's a joke. And they were like, no, seriously. And I was like, what happened to Jay Crawford? I loved watching Jay. And they were like, he's moving on to something different. If you're interested, we'll fly you out. 
it was the same time as the I was doing the U.S. Open for Tennis Channel. Okay. And I was like, well, I'll be in New York this weekend. If you want me to come down that Sunday, I can. It was a real clandestine, you know, trip. I went down on a Sunday. I was working for Tennis Channel that Monday, uh, and uh, between me, you and John, between me and John and whoever's listening, I, I felt like um, I felt like I did great. I was like, oh, I feel I feel good about this, but I'm not going to get the job. And then the rest is history. I got it. So let me ask you a whole bunch of questions. That's a great story. I, I didn't know. Uh, I didn't know like ninety percent of that. Does, does Leanne know that you took a day off a of tennis channel to go audition <laughs> at first take? That's my real important Wait. question. No, I'm kidding. Um, can I be, can I, yes, she does, because I told her after the fact. <laughs> good thing it's between us. Um, so are you, when That's you're working one. at these, uh, when you're working in these small markets, first of all, um, are you, are you on air? I mean, are you, are you at the studio or are you in the field? I mean, are you, I'm, I'm standing I'm, next to the school where the tornado hit or are you, sitting behind the desk well all my my first job in west virginia i was a reporter uh, my second job in in florida i was a reporter and an anchor so i got i started off as a reporter and worked my way up to weekend anchor so i would do a little bit of both i was always just i love being in in the, in the field i love being in the street so i was always a reporter at weekend anchor same thing in atlanta reporter weekend anchor reporter weekend anchor so it was always out and about i definitely twisted in the wind with a few hurricanes, um, you know, I would interview people. I would knock on doors and get doors slammed in my face. People would tell me, no, I'm very, very good with dealing with rejection because that's how it is as a local news reporter. And then in studio, it's a whole nother deal. You're protected. You know, you, you got reporters, you got, you got your producers feeding you stories and helping you out, making you better. But I've always, I've always been a reporter if I, if I had to choose the two. Was local news in a in a tight spot when you were in there, or were you did you sort of catch the tail end of the uh, the glory years? Wait, say that again. I'm sorry. I think I feel like local news it, it's not quite the dire situation of newspapers, but I, but I feel like yeah. uh, local news is in a bit of a tight spot. Was it yeah. that way when you were there, or did you catch the tail end of uh, the golden years? I think, to be honest with you, I think the best news that you can ever do is in mid sized markets. Right. So my mid-sized market was Florida, so that was West Palm Beach, and I think that was market like 40. To me, that's a mid-sized market, and you and they gave you just a little enough time to tell good stories. Nowadays, it's you, you're right. I look, I, you know, I live in LA, so I'm like, gosh, is this what we're doing now? It's a tight, it's a tight time, and especially there, especially in sports, you don't have any local sports reporters anymore because they can't afford it. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. So. It's, it's like you can't do it. No one can afford it anymore. They're taking the local radio stations and hiring them out and asking them to to tell the story. So um, I was in between the glory years. I used to work. I came on the tell-in. It's funny. When I was in West Palm, there's a guy named Dan Helley that works for the NFL Network now. He was our, our main news director in West Palm, and he said the same thing. He was like, those are the glory years. Nowadays, you have to go to a network that does it all, as a, you know, as a cover of single sport. Otherwise, you can't do what you love. Right. Well, I, I, you know, I've seen it's like you when you started. I mean, they're now talking about you. You give the uh, you give the reporters helmets so they can do their own filming, and it's almost like uh, their own GoPros. It's sort of one man band, and then they've got to go back and blog, and they've you know. <laughs> John, it's impossible because you can't do all great. Right. Like no one's a great shooter, no one's a great editor. You know, like, if you're a great writer, something else is suffering because you know how that is. You're a great writer. You want to focus on that. You don't have to worry about anything else. 
I want to worry about podcasts. But uh, no, you're right. I mean, I don't, I don't know how at some level the quality's got to suffer. I also heard someone said in, in local news now, the budget is such that if, if you if you make $1,000 for every year of your age, you're doing well. So if you're, if you're, 28, you're, you're 20 years old, you're making $28,000, it's you're, you're doing well. That's, well, um, yeah, that's I made tough. $12,000. I, I literally made $12,000 remember my first job, and that wasn't that long ago. That was in 2001. And he said, I remember the news director would be like, sure, you did so good today. I'm going to give you an extra $50 bonus. I was like, thanks. I'll be able to eat for the week. I appreciate it. Thanks, sir. Yeah. Um, I, I will. Uh, I assume your your representation has done better for you these days. But but let's um, <laughs> see. So you, you get to you get to Tennis Channel. And yeah. what's your relationship with the sport at that point? You're, you're coming from local news, and you clearly have experience both hosting and out in the field. What's your exposure to tennis? So when I was in West Palm, I used to cover the, the Williams sisters, right? Okay. So I had, prior to coming to Tennis Channel, covered them in two, two capacities. Once, the dad was he had some legal troubles, and someone was suing him. So we were in court for that, and they were suing the daughters, and the dad was in court. We were in court for that, and I saw the girls, and I saw them there. Um, somehow, some way, I was able to make uh, a friendly acquaintance with Venus, and she had her own design company. That's when she had just started her design company. And I was able to cover the opening of her design company. Uh, and they would have, you know, a few echoes here and there. And I was able to just interact with them. Not too much tennis, but just on a very friendly level. Um, and then, by the time that I got to Tennis Channel, Working in local news, you don't really cover so much tennis, but I had a few personalities that I knew that I was, I was able to talk about that I had covered, especially covering the Williams sisters. And at the time, it was, you know, it was Rafa, it was Roger, and I knew the basics of tennis. But I will be honest with you, which is why I love Tennis Channel so much, they, they were looking for someone who was a journalist, but they also were looking for someone who could tell a story and who, was, who, could, do, who could do what they thought was news. And so they were willing to work with me on so many different areas, which is why I said, you, my friend, there were so many people I just could learn from. And it didn't take long because, you know, as a journalist, you've got your beat to cover it. And I, and I dove into my beat, and I loved it. I, be, I really did, and I'm not just saying that. I still keep in touch with people from Tennis Channel. I still right. keep in touch with, you know, the local reporters that I had made friends with. Um, I do my best to bring tennis to sports, you know, whenever I can and cover it and talk about it and ask for different people on our show when there's breaking news. You know, I just do um, because I feel like it raised me in the world of sports, and I feel like it doesn't get the love that it deserves. You know what I mean? What do you mean by that? I just feel like we ignore American tennis. I, I, I don't know why. I, I think that Serena's the biggest draw, and when she leaves, what will happen? Uh, there was a time, and before my time, and you can talk about it even better than I can, I feel when the American, the American men were at their best, Tennis was appreciated more, but I feel now with just Serena, and then we have the advent of Maria, but just with Serena there, she's a natural draw, but everyone is like, well, what's happening next? What's going to happen with her? I don't feel like people treat it as the sport it should be. There's four major sports, but tennis to me should be one of them, especially American tennis, and I don't know if it's because we don't have the great American stars outside of the sisters. I don't know if we need to build some more up, and how do we find it to make people interested in it again? I also think there's not enough drama, and I hate to say that, but when there's drama that people know about, that they're aware of, people tune in. So so when Maria and Serena were going back and forth, people paid attention. Right. right. Uh, when when uh, Andre and, and, and Pete could stand each other, people paid attention. Uh, John McEnroe, people are paying attention. 
I don't know if there's not enough drama or enough uh, enough storylines for people to be invested in, right? So, no, I, I think you're. I think, I and think you you feel like, uh, and you you feel. At least I I feel a little guilty saying, boy, I wish uh, this weren't so civil and I wish people uh, had some more feuds and some more tension. But I do think you're I think you're you're right. The sport suffers from a lack of friction. Um, it, it, it does, I, I think. That's just my opinion. And, and when I try to explain it to people, when I'm like, it's such a wonderful game and the idea of what it is and the art and the beauty and 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 for me, just the diversity, that's just the true diversity of the sport. All right, the two things I wanted to ask you about. So one of them okay. is, and you're 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 getting there on your own, but I'll but I'll ask you directly. So you you work for a mainstream sports show, and it, there's there's a big audience, and you talk about all sorts of sports. If you went into that production meeting and said, "Hey, listen, there's a tennis story I want to do," or I think we should really talk about these French Open results, how far is tennis from the mainstream right now in your world? I mean, is it is it laughable? Is it make your case to me, Carrie? I mean, where where is tennis from where you have the perspective now? Okay, so if we are having a morning meeting and we and I throw tennis up and there's not a it's not around a major or it's not around a storyline, I don't I don't have much of a leg to stand on. I'd have to really sell it. So so to me, we do a good job, I believe, at ESPN of trying to give what I call the other sports love. Like, you know, hockey feels that way. Every time we do hockey, they're like, you guys never talk about hockey. You guys right. never talk about soccer. You never talk about tennis. We hear that a lot. You never talk about NASCAR. These are some of the things that I call the other sports. Uh, tennis, it's a hard sell if it's not Serena or if it's not around a major. Uh, we, they love Roger, right? We can talk Roger all the time, like any day, all day, as long as there's a storyline attached to it. But there just has to be a storyline attached to it. So when Serena, to me, uh, was going for the record, not this summer, but last summer at the U.S. Open, right. I think we gave it a lot of love, and there were so many different things we have done, and we did as much as we could. We had special, we, I mean, I think we really blew it out, uh, no pressure on Serena, um, but to me, it's just this one-woman one sport that we really give a lot of attention to, and it's not because not because they don't love tennis. We have so many people that love tennis. Like my co-anchor, David Lloyd, loves tennis. I, I work with Howard Bryant, loves tennis. We always have them on to talk tennis. I'm like, tennis, get Howard Bryant. Or we get Brad to talk about tennis. We try to find these different voices. I go out of my, especially on our show, I go out of my way to find voices. But I think if it's not around a major, you know, I'm not talking about the Shanghai Masters and what, you know, Nick is acting up. You know, again, something that's... Now you're yeah, talking crazy. Something has to happen. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I just no, I just think it's interesting that um, that's certainly my experience here as well. That it's just it's a tough sell, and and my question is, how does it become an easier sell? Because Roger, God bless him, is thirty five years old. Serena, God bless her, is thirty five years old, and I'm thinking, boy, does this sport sometimes seem very far from Tebow playing baseball and Tom Brady back <laughs> in back in the NFL and boy those Minnesota Vikings are starting strong. It just seems like a completely different ecosystem. It's hard. I don't I as what we I, I, I don't know what it is. I think there's a combination of unapologetically being yourself. It's almost like T V personalities or writers. Like I you I get a sense of who you are when you write, John, right? Um, there are personalities that shine through on television because you kind of you know who they are. They they write. They it, there's no science to it. It's just the it. And and tennis for whatever reasons, you know, just falls short 
it might be the nature of how the game moves. It may be the, the people who are playing the game. I, I, I believe that it's the issue of just us not having any Americans that are dominating. We love to get behind a good story. We love to tell a good story. We, When John Isner said that Colin Kaepernick, he didn't approve of what he did, and he and he wanted – he's a new Blaine Gabbard fan. We like that. Right. We, how many right. times does John Isner get on SportsCenter? You know what I mean? We want to hear those unapologetic truths about who our, our sports heroes are because for whatever reason, their fans love it. We like it because we are begging for uh, honesty and authenticity on television. And, 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 and some players don't play with that, and some do, and those are the ones that just cut across. You know no, what I mean? No, I, I agree. I was just reading a piece about Maria Sharapova and how she played in this exhibition the other night in Las Vegas. And the point of the piece was, here's this athlete. She's coming off. She's in the middle of an, a doping suspension that, that isn't going to lapse mm-hmm. for nine more months. And tennis is welcoming her back, and everyone's giving her high fives, and she's got this platform. If this were other sports, she'd be this, this pariah. And tennis oh, is so God. averse to conflict that here she is in the midway through a doping suspension, and Billie Jean King and you know whoever else is present are giving her this showcase. Um, it's it's tough. The flip side is I don't know if you want to tell people you guys have to start behaving like assholes because if you don't start, uh, <laughs> you know, if, if if you're not controversial, you're not going to get on TV. You know, it's interesting because I've always said people ask me about tennis. I go, it's such a gentleman's sport. And that's exactly the. It's so polite. It's so appropriate. There, are, there are very few players that are like, I'm not talking to you. I'm, I'm irritated. I'm put out. We have so many people like today. Russell Westbrook said, "The next time you ask me about Kevin Durant, I'm just not answering any more questions." Okay? Like he told the reporters that. Right. You would right. never hear a, rep- a tennis player say that. Maybe, maybe the few. There's a handful, right? There are very few that would just be like, "Listen, I'm tired of it." And so, of course, we talked about it. He's tired of talking about Kevin Durant. He doesn't want to hear about it. The, the breakup of, of Serena and and Sasha, and correct me if I'm wrong, no one really talked about it. And if they did, it was love. Or right. or if there is a scandal, uh, it is it's written about, but it doesn't get any attention, you know, the way it would in any other sport. And I don't know if it's because there's this fear that it would hurt the sport. When I think it would enhance the sport, where people know that it's real. I, I, I got two theories. I mean, the Sharapova thing to me was was surprising because in an individual sport, you know, we can debate levels of guilt and how blameworthy she is. But in an individual sport, when somebody's cheating, they're directly taking food off your plate. Right. I mean, it's, it's not sure. like, oh, they're not on our schedule or, you know, big deal. Some lineman that plays for a team that we don't even play this year may or may or one of 12 guys on the field. Uh, 11 guys on the field. I, I feel like the response to Sharapova from people that are competing directly against her was, I don't want to talk about it, tennis questions only. Uh, that's, that's personal. That's between Maria and her team. The lack of confrontation well, not, was really something. Do they not want to talk about it because they're, they're guilty, or do they not want to talk about it because they don't like her, or do they not want to talk about it because they could care less? I, I think the, my answer is that controversy will be a distraction, and they just don't want to deal with, the fallout from saying anything, you know, contentious because what's what's in it for me to uh, get in this pissing contest? I've got a career to focus on. I mean, I, I think if you talk to players privately, they're very upset about Sharapova. I don't think, you know, I, I think personal feelings color it a little bit, but I think most of it is just I don't want to deal with any sort of controversy because that's one minute that's distracting me from this individual sport. But it's, it's, now, it's an interesting... Now, you say that. 
you say that, if it was Serena, would they have handled it the same way? I think there is a very interesting thought exercise to be done if Serena had the exact same fact pattern um, and the exact same chronology, what the response would be. And I suspect that uh, things may have broken a little different. Would you, uh, well, you, you want to you. take it that one? Definitely been, it would have been 100% different. We would have heard people that we've never heard of before jumping on her. Presidents of certain federations and, and, and other places that didn't like them, whomever would have said something. I think it would have been, it would not have been as nice. It would have been a bigger story. And it wouldn't have went away, no matter how she would have handled it. If she would have came out and said, this, was this, this is what I did, it would not have went away. There would have been questions about her greatness and her legacy and who she is. I don't believe that it would have been as handled as, as nicely and wrapped up in a bow. I just don't. I cannot dispute that. Um, at, at some level, it's, uh, it, it's a hypothetical, but I think the media treatment, I, I mean, I think the tennis media has been fairly even-handed and I, and I think fair on Sharapova, and I think they're parts yeah, the of the tennis process. media. But what is the I, tennis, the tennis media? media? But what is the but tennis the mainstream, media? Mainstream, exactly. Yeah, the mainstream, but I, I don't think so. Exactly. Um, and I, by the way, I'm not making any excuses for Serena. I'm just saying... I just think it would have been handled differently, and I and I don't know what that is. I don't. Tennis is just a different world. It just is. Right, but it, I mean, just to be clear, you're, there, there are no excuses that need to be made. We're we're not alleging anything. Yeah, no, okay. we're just saying. I'm saying hypothetically. I just don't. It's just a different world, and I don't know how it works, and what and what works, and why there's scandal, why there isn't scandal, and and I I wonder. I just wonder, and I'm not saying scandal draws. That you guys need a scandal, but you do need an interesting storyline, and I find it interesting that because I really wanted to jump on the Maria story. I was like, "You guys, we have to cover this," um, and we did a few readers, and you know, then some more breaking news happened, and it, it, it kind of fell off because, in the grand scheme of things, it was like, "Okay, she got to reduce the 15 months." But then we looked at the history, and they were like, "Well, there were other players who also Marin Chilich got his reduced, and you know, so on and so forth." And I don't know if it's the leniency, you know, of of, of tennis that made made us feel like the story didn't deserve as much att- attention, um, or or I just feel like tennis feels in general like you can't really say anything bad, and so we want. I mean, because you you know this world better than me, John. You know yeah, how I mean. I, I, think, I don't. I think with doping too, it's these stories. No matter who it is, get so complex that it's very hard to tell these stories in, you know, forty five seconds in the C block. You know You're what right. I mean? I mean, there there's so many You're sort right. of pieces of evidence and different governing bodies and this alphabet soup and i feel like if you're the viewer you've got a limited threshold for that story uh you know you when, when it's sandwiched in between right. hockey highlights but. you're right you're right um that's fair so this is uh this is a richard deitch question feel, okay feel, feel free to punt but uh oh god if, if, I, if I were to say that no no I, I mean this is a richard deitch style question um you're you were on first take now you're Hosting Sports Center from LA. Fair to say, first take is like that second round match that you just have to grind through to get to the next round. I think first take was, and I asked someone asked me this question the other day, and I and I and I rarely talk about first take anymore because it seems so long ago. But first take to me was arguably, and I still say I mean this from the bottom of my heart. There's there's so much sincerity here. Um, I think I had the hardest job in the building based on what I was supposed to do and what I knew I could do but I think I learned so much. There's, there's something to be said 
You know, Iron Eagle said to me, I remember when I got the job and I called Iron Eagle, our colleague at Tennis Channel, and I said, what's your best advice? And he said, just listen. Just listen carefully. Just pay close attention. He was like, once you listen, you learn so much. And, and little did I know that was really going to be my role, but I learned so much. I learned how to, uh, first of all, I learned a lot about different sports that I, I just honestly didn't know the, the different storylines. There's history. There's history upon history upon history. When you're new to certain things, people just have history on you. I learned so much from those two. Skip, say what you want, hardest worker in the business. Stephen A., a natural talent that people just don't have. But it was a hard job because I, I was a journalist and I, and I wanted to tell a story and I, and I had a voice and I wanted to place it. Now, I didn't, I didn't feel that way right away, but after I got into things and I knew the routine, I knew it was time for me to grow and learn. I just had to figure out a plan and how I wanted to put my voice on a product. And that's how I came up with my podcast, Be Honest. Um, and I knew I was very comfortable talking about certain things, i.e. tennis, basketball. So my very first podcast was about um, – was about, oh no, my, that was my first one. One of my very first podcasts had Billie Jean King on it. And she had, she said, you know, create your own narrative. Don't let anybody tell your story. And so I felt like for so long, I was letting somebody else tell my story because I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And she gave me that great advice and that was it. I, I don't have any ill will because I'm so far removed and there was nothing ill about them. They were as generous as they could possibly be. Like they just were. I wasn't expecting them to say, come on and let's make this your show, Carrie. Um, there were things that could have been better. Of course, that's like any job. But at the end of the day, if I didn't have that job, I wouldn't have this job. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, if yeah, I didn't yeah, have, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. If I didn't have that platform, honestly, that was arguably I, the best platform at the time the network had. And I didn't even realize it. And I have, and I, for whatever reasons, by the grace of God, was able to ingratiate myself with so many different people. And the fan base is, you know, just as faithful now that I'm on SportsCenter. Uh, and it's, it's funny because I, I don't realize that. You're just working. I was in a little, what I call my Bristol bubble, Monday through Friday, <laughs> doing my job. And then I go home and that was it. And I come back and I work hard and I go home and I come back. I go, I'd had so much homework, right? And it really paid off. And, and I, uh, I feel like I also learned to express myself. You know, at local news, you're just supposed to present the facts right, and, and, right. and be fair, and there's nothing wrong with that at all. But then you also, nowadays, as you all know, you need an opinion. you got to have something to say, whether people agree or disagree, and you have to be okay with that. So I got comfortable with uncomfortable, uncomfortable television. I got comfortable with awkward silences. I got comfortable with intense discussion. People don't learn that overnight. That's a, that's a special skill set that you have to be able to navigate through um, as a journalist and as a host. And I learned all that on first day. I feel like I should let this go so we can have an awkward silence. No, I, I, I think that's, that's a great. I, I didn't mean this to be a referendum on first take. I just it seems to me no, like it seems to not. me like you have ended up you've used first take and you have used the skills there and the platform there to end up in a place that I think gives you a lot more room to operate. How's that? A lot more room to grow. I think so. But you have to realize, like, I'm being honest, John. Like, when I got the job, when I, I, I had always had a vision of what can I do, what can I do. But when it's hard when people see you in one role. So I, it was a lot of campaigning. I was, I was the moderator. And so I had to campaign. I had to knock on doors. I had to, I had to kiss babies and shake hands. And I said, you know, I can do this. You, you know, I was a journalist. I still am. I, I, 
you know, and the very first shot I got, I believe, was I thought of my podcast. I did a, a E60 with Cam Newton. Um, and that was my first taste of showing, like, I can do other things. Watch. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I, it is I, remember that I don't E60. have. You, yeah, you remember. I, it was, it was, it was, I had the last four years, I can't even describe it. It went so quick and so many things have happened. I, I just, is every time four, I looked up, it, it was something years? different. Oh, my God. It's been four years. October was four years. It flew by, John. Wow. Um, wait, let me ask you a question. I wanted when, when you said you had an audition, this is this is kind of inside TV wonky stuff, and I'm just curious. When you said you had an audition for first take, do you have a sense of how many other people are there? I mean, are you saying like, when, when you go into that audition, are you thinking like, there are three people that I need to outperform, or are you thinking this is still lottery tickets? Oh, you know what? I didn't even think about it. Um, I had read something. To be honest, before I got there, there were there were reports that there were like four or five people still up for the job. But I mean, I never and and my name was one of the names, but I hadn't even auditioned, so I knew that that wasn't true. So I I, I kind of I dismissed that report. But I don't even I wasn't even thinking how many people were up for the job. I just went in and I felt like I had nothing to lose. So I was arguably the most relaxed I've, I've ever been in an audition. I went in thinking, and I told Jamie Horowitz this. I was like. You guys are not gonna hire me. Like that's not. Yeah, I don't look. I don't fit the bill. You know what I mean? I, I don't look like what I think you're looking for. And that's what I was thinking to myself. And then I just went that's in and I was like, Oh wow, I I nailed it. Let's see what happens. Good for you. Um, all right, speed round, real quick. Okay. Um, so I was looking. I wanted to figure out when you were a tennis channel. So I sparked up the old uh, Google.com. So mm-hmm. I got when I was at. No, no, yeah. I, I was trying to. So I was trying to figure out when you were a tennis channel. So I was looking at Google before, okay. and I see twenty hottest photos of Carrie Champion, Little Wayne on Carrie Champion, five facts you need <laughs> to know about Carrie Champion, Carrie Champion's net worth. Serious question: uh-huh. how, how are you dealing with this? I, I would say <laughs> spike in fame, but seriously, I mean, what, what is this like? What has this been like for you? And oh, how, well, how have I you? I try not to Google myself. No, but I don't mean. I don't mean that. True. I mean, clear, clearly, yeah. there's been a surge in in notoriety and everything that comes with that, especially you know, candidly as, as a woman in media, how, how have you dealt with this, uh, I'll say this sort of surge in fame? I don't you know. Um, that's interesting. Okay, so here's a true story. I, I lived in Bristol for the last three and a half years. And so in Bristol, there's no such thing as like fame because you're just, you go to work and you see your, your Hall of Famers and your heroes and your famous personalities every day. So everyone is pretty much the same. And then when you're outside of Bristol, it's such a small town, you don't think about it. So then when I get outside of Bristol and, like, I would travel and people would recognize me, it was it was a little bit of a shock. I'd be like, hey, how are you? Now, mind you, I've been on TV all my life, though. This isn't my, you know, my first time. I thought this is the only job I've ever had. I think it makes me a little uncomfortable, if I'm honest. Um, I think I go the opposite way to make sure I stay humble and true, which means I try to keep my my same circle of friends and stay close. And I, I really developed like my first year or two there, a real thick skin. I mean, I had to, otherwise I wouldn't be able to survive. There were times when I thought like, Oh boy, I'm not going to make it. I wasn't going to make it because I was getting so much attention right away. Cause I was like their very first host on that show. Right, it was right. popular. And, and I just, I didn't think I was going to, there were times where I was just like, Oh boy, I don't think I'm built for this. This is too much attention. There are too many people analyzing what I'm doing, saying, wearing, what I'm not saying, um, and then after a while, it just you just get used to it, 
and you ignore it. I think living in L.A. is even better because no one is like, you know, oh, look, if they are, it's no big deal because, you know, L.A. is a land of, of superstars. So I, I I feel comfortable here because no one's paying attention to me. I'm moving about my day. But I, at first it was really hard, John, if I'm being honest with you, because you don't, you don't ask for that, right? You don't ask for that. You're like, I report the news. Who cares? Like, who who cares what's going on and how much I make and who I know and but it's you know it's all a part of the gig and then after a while you just you you listen to what you want to listen to and you tune out the rest. Sounds very zen. Sounds very rational. Um, how many? Uh, if I say thirty, o- over or under, Lakers win that many Wait, games. Say, say that again. I'm the La- first part. La- Lakers are winning more or less than thirty games. Oh no, gosh, I'm going thirty-five just because Ooh. I want to be an optimist. I know. We I'm all love. Uh, we all love Luol Deng, but uh, 30, yeah. <laughs> 30, 30, 35 sounds like an awfully big number. What's the? I know. Uh, I know. The you you've had your uh, you've you've had your time feasting. You've had some good years as a Laker fan. No sympathy here. Um, what's uh, what what's a lesson from tennis slash tennis channel that you've taken with you? Lessons from Tennis Channel that I take away, you said? Yeah, I don't know. What's something from Tennis and or Tennis Channel that uh, has come in handy in your current position? Uh, yeah. Oh, gosh, so many. Um, I I will say this. I think that of all the sports that I've covered, and this sounds crazy, uh, all the people that I've met at Tennis Channel, media, behind-the-scenes players, they've been the most genuine. Um, they still keep in touch with me, still friendly, oh, like still that. reach out to me, still check on me. Um, I do the same for them. It's like it's like old friends who haven't talked for a minute, and then when we talk, it's no big deal. Courtney, I'll call Courtney when I'm in San Francisco. She's around, and we'll, we'll get a beer. You know what I mean? Or, you know, John Isner the other day said, hey, I'm just checking on you, letting you know you're doing well. I'm proud of you. you know, I, 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 I don't get that in these See, other sports. That is the tennis I know. Not uh, I can count on one hand the people who are helpful. That makes no, me feel yeah, good. No, I'm happy. You, and you, you name-check Ian, yeah, who's no. one of the all-time great guys. This, this is – you made me happy now. These are just – no, these, like I said, I called Ian Eagle and I said, hey. And then so I, for me, and like I said, when I first got there, it was just overwhelming. And I think people were trying to let me figure it out. And they were busy, too. You know how tennis gets. Well, you know how it can be weird. You see, you're just like, what's happening? You, you, you had a different experience than me. I wasn't an insider. I was an outsider. And, an and it took a while for people to see what, what I really was about. And they realized that I was just about my work. And I wanted to work hard. And I wanted to be good. And. And and everyone doesn't know that right away, and I appreciate that. You gotta you gotta you gotta have a little pause. But everybody from tennis, I still keep in touch with. There's not one person. I Ken Solomon. I couldn't. I can call him. I saw him at a dinner I hosted. I hosted. And he was as friendly as it was like yesterday. Like no big deal. I can go down a list. They're all still the same people that I know, and they're all still very generous. Max. Eisenbutt, of all people, like he still reaches out to me. He gives me a hard time, but what do you mean of all people? Um, No, I mean your 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 experience mirrors mine, which is there are these sort of walls that you you kind of have to prove yourself a little bit, and it's a little bit of a, uh, and then once you're in, you're in. But um, yeah, right. You got you. You are absolutely right about that. You do definitely got to have the walls up, and then you're like, once they like you, they're like, okay. I like you. <laughs> uh, then it's the circus. Um, so you yeah. know what? I, I was—I should have said this earlier, and I'll say this in the intro. But one of, one of the things I always liked about working with you is that sometimes we would talk about nothing having to do with tennis, and uh-huh. it would be music or whatever. You send me to I forget, Roscoe's in L.A., um, uh-huh. but you—you you always seem to have like a cool project. I don't know if you had yoga and and you were into wine and and facial 
products for women who are going to be anchors. You always have. What, what else is interesting you these days? I mean, what's what? Do, what are you doing outside of work? That you, you always sort of seem to have well, projects going uh, on that have nothing to do with media. Nothing to do with work or nothing to do with media. Well, you know what I've been doing lately, John? Um, I, I, I've been doing – women – this is so funny. I'm really into a new health kick now. Um, i big yoga fan, but I decided to start doing a little weight training. Not that I'm trying to be a bodybuilder, but this is something that I've, I've really been into for a while. I work with so many athletes. This has nothing to do with work, but I always wonder what this will is to stay in the gym and work hard. It's a whole nother set. It's a whole nother mindset. And so lately I've been weight training because I've been interested in if I can do it, just to see if I can do it. And I've been thinking about running marathons. So I've been really into my fitness lately because for me it just is it works with how well my my mindset is and how I am how I am dealing with life in general. Um, I've made a really really big effort to kind of make that a part of just my my lifestyle period because we get so caught up in what we do and we don't take care of ourselves. We two people run here, run there, run here, run there. Uh, I'm working on developing my own foundation uh, for little brown girls. And by that, I mean just girls, uh, minorities who don't get to see a lot of other minority women doing well, not just necessarily on television, but just doing well. I, I came from a single family home. Like my, my mom raised me, a single parent home. My mom raised me. My dad was a part of my life uh, later, later in life. But my mom raised me on her own, and, and she did something that's impossible nowadays. It's hard. It's hard to, to keep your, your child focused when there's so many other distractions. And so... I go out of my way to find girls who, who are like me, who, you know, maybe your dad raising you and maybe your mom just raising you, but you need to have someone invest in you and tell you you can. And so I'm trying to represent as best I can and, 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 and take time with these young girls to say you can do it. Because once you see it and once you, once you can reach out and touch it and feel it, then it's possible. So that's been one of my big things. My heart is pretty big for that. I, I feel like that's the purpose. I feel like my career is not just because I work hard. I think it's supposed to show all of that and give it back. Like I've been, I've been given all this for a reason, right? I and and I moved pretty quickly for a reason, and so I I got to share it. I feel I feel such a huge responsibility. Man, that was supposed to be speed round. That was the meatiest. Uh, good, good for you, champion. No, don't Sorry. apologize for anything. That was like the most substantive. Uh, that's great. I right. The soccer guys are giving me dirty looks. Um. This was great. I'm happy we did this, but uh, I'm also thrilled for your success. Keep uh, keep doing what you're doing, but don't uh, don't forget about tennis. Never. Can you get me on? You know that's my. You talk to Jamie Reynolds. You know that's been my ploy. I've been. I have by campaigning. I've been campaigning. Trust me. Oh, for ESPN tennis. Ooh. Yeah. All right, we're we're gonna uh, we're gonna throw our considerable weight. It's like you weight training. We're gonna throw our considerable weight around with. Uh, ESPN tennis uh, and work on getting you on. That was a joke, but I, I, I you'd be great. Seriously, that do. would be great. That would be. We'd love to. Uh, I would love it. We'd love to see you back out there. But we're thrilled seeing you. And I would. Wait, I'm going to read this from the thing. We're thrilled seeing you now starting 11 a.m. Eastern instead of noon on Coast to Coast with David Lloyd based in Bristol. Is that right? Did I get that right? Thank you. All right. Yes, that is correct. Um, thanks for doing this. That was great. Oh my God. Anytime. You're such a Thank pal. you for having me. We're, uh, no, please. Next time in, uh, I'm in LA, I'm looking for you. We're going to Roscoe's. This you go. Roscoe's Chicken and Waffles. You sent me there before. <laughs> you love it. I love it. John, um, thank you. Thanks. Take care of yourself. You too. Bye bye. Thanks. That was great. All right.
That was this week's tennis podcast. Carrie Champion was our guest. I think you get a sense of why we are so fond of her and enjoyed working with her at Tennis Channel. If you know folks at ESPN Tennis, make sure they have room on the roster for Carrie, who's great to work with and has, as you can tell, a real fondness and affection for tennis. We'll have a new guest next week. Suggestions are always welcome. Keep the criticisms coming as well. A few of you were complaining that we were too political with Martina Navratilova. Fair enough. Uh, we have thick skin here. Again, though, I'm John Wertheim. Jamie Lasanti, as always, is our producer. We'll have another guest in seven days. Thanks for listening. Have a good week, everyone. Thank you.